Hey, this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today we have a very special bonus episode for you, just in time for Christmas. And we also have a special guest, my good friend, Katie. We started out as roommates in college, and we would go every Friday to La Perea, mm-hmm. um, and we would get a student discount at the movie theater. Yeah, every Friday, and I, we saw a lot of bad movies, and we continue to see a lot of bad movies. Yes, but we never really watched Christmas movies. We were very much into the horror more than anything else. Yes, and there is the sweet spot of Christmas horror movies. Oh, I do love those, <laughs> and they are universally bad, but yeah. I love them. Yeah, so if you if you couldn't tell, today we're going to be talking about um, some, some holiday movie tropes because uh, one thing that you are an expert in is holiday movies. Yes, I would say specifically the Hallmark brand, um, but the, it's really expanded to different channels like uh-huh. Ion Channel and Lifetime, and those are actually a little bit more edgy mm-hmm. and more diverse. And I appreciate them a lot because there is more diversity, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but Hallmark's, eh, you know, very conservative. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, see, I don't have much experience at all, which is why it's good that you're here. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us for this yeah. very special episode. Thank you for having me kind of a meta experience after listening to this podcast for so many years to be on it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's nice. Yeah. Well, let's dive in here. But first, do you have any any favorites, any favorite holiday movies? Well, if we're going like kind of Hallmark brand Christmas mm-hmm. movies, there's two that I, I tend to watch every year and they're they're fairly recent. Um, one is A Christmas Kiss. Okay. Um, which is actually an Ion television movie, so I, I, I guess I should clarify that. Um, I really love the main character, Wendy Walton, that she has, like, really great supportive friends. Mm-hmm. And they're named Tressa and Caroline. And Tressa, in particular, is a little bit more fleshed out than most of the sidekicks. Mm-hmm. And she has her own career that she's really passionate about. Um, but she's still very supportive, and I actually think this movie passes the Bechdel test, which not a lot of holiday movies do, I don't think. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's why I like this one. There's even a curse word. Ooh. I know. Eye on television. Edgy, <laughs> like I said. Uh-huh. Um, the second one that I really like is The Spirit of Christmas, um, where the main male character is actually a ghost. Ooh. Um, and he was murdered on Christmas Eve 95 years before. And so there's a little bit of the murder mystery element to it. And I honestly can't tell you how it really makes any sense at all that they, like, wind up together as he's a ghost and she's not. <laughs> but yeah. it's just okay. You just go with it. You're like, I buy it. So, right. you know, The Spirit of Christmas is worth a watch, in my opinion. Okay. And is that a, a Hallmark? I think so. Um, I watched it on Netflix, mm-hmm. and I, I tried to look it up, and I didn't see what channel it originated on. But at, kind of looking at these two movies, I did notice that I believe they were both written by a woman. 
Oh. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that probably adds to, you know, now that I know that I'm like, oh, that totally makes more sense because I like the female characters better in these movies than a lot of the others that I've seen. Right. So. Right. And the thing about when I was looking into this, because I, I have a certain subset of holiday movies I watch every year, but beyond that, I don't really venture out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was trying to research and prepare for this episode, this very special bonus episode. Oh, yes. Um, and a lot of people have written essays about why they think that we love these very formulaic um, holiday movies. I mean, they're 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 the junk food. Yeah, they're the they're soothing. You know exactly how they're going to turn out. It doesn't take a lot of thought, and you know the holidays are crazy. You've got family everywhere. You're trying to figure out your shopping, and maybe in some cases you're avoiding your family. Mm-hmm. And you know it, it's it's just soothing. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's like big budget action movies, like in the summer. I, I think it's just like the the holiday version of that. Mm-hmm. They just they don't require a lot of thought, <laughs> right? And uh, a lot of articles pointed out how beautiful they are, and like unrealistically so. If you take the case of New York, oh, where yeah. there's never any graffiti or gum or yeah, just things well, like that. I mean, you might even be getting into the bigger budget ones that are actually filmed in the winter. Most of them on the Hallmark Channel are not. There's, like, little patches of snow, and then there's just, like, beautiful green trees in the background. And you're like, oh, this is a lovely winter scene. Right. (laughs) And so it's like you just see them like, it's so cold, and, like, nobody's breath is showing and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I... I, part of me think that's why a lot of them aren't set in big cities is because it just costs more to make them there. And oh, so sure. it's like small towns are the best thing ever for our holiday movies. Right, which is interesting because it plays into a trope. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> this trope is honestly one of the ones that I find the most annoying. Mm-hmm. A lot of... Big city career women going to the small town because something to do with their job. You know, I've got to write this story. I've got to buy this property. They get sent out there and they play it for laughs a lot where it's like this big city woman is there and she can't survive without her constant Wi-Fi and lattes. Yeah. Just how dare she think she's better than us kind of thing. And I, I don't like that dichotomy. Yeah, And I think it plays into a lot of, like, you know, political identity as well, where it's like, I'm rural, I'm a real American, that kind of thing. And I I dislike that, you know, from my own experience, and I know from your experience, we're both from, like, small towns in Georgia. Like, Mm -hmm. we've done the small town life. I'm currently living in my hometown again. And it's just, it's... It glosses over the fact that, you know, I live in a small town or in my county where 70% of people don't have the same political and social opinions as I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, someone coming from the city, probably a little bit more liberal than these people in a small town, not to try to generalize, but I feel like that's often the case. And it just completely glosses over that. And, you know, it's like, that's a big change. There's a lot of things that go into it, not just because you met some hot guy who has a lot of Christmas spirit and it's all going to work out. Um, So it's like that one in particular really does bother me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it gets done in so many of them. I would say the majority of them. Yeah. um, It is kind of like you go, you've, you've been chasing this career, but it doesn't really make you happy. Yeah. This small town will make you happy, which not to diss on small towns, like if that's 
to each their own if that's the lifestyle you want. But I think it just idealizes it too much. It And, I mean, of course, they're, like, short and sweet little movies. They're not going into, like, the complexities of adult relationships. <laughs> right. But, I mean, that's a big change that no one ever really addresses. Right. And I, in my limited experience with holiday movies, the two tropes that I have observed the most are the the, holi- the the hunk, the holiday hunk, as I've seen him described. Yes. The woman comes, for some reason, she has to go to this small town. Perhaps there's, like, a... Her aunt has died, and there's a legal thing she's got to go do or something. But she has to go back to this small town for whatever yeah. reason. Sometimes it's to find the best Christmas tree in America. That's oh. happened a few times. More than once that's happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, like, I have to find the perfect tree or the perfect X, and, mm-hmm. like, because of my overly demanding boss. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like there's some reason they've wound up in this town. Right. And... Then they meet the holiday hunk, and they sort of leave this life that they've created for themselves mm-hmm. behind in the city. And I always did feel, along with what you were saying, it also just, I get the point they're trying to make in that yeah. you're, like, too tied up in work. You've forgotten, mm-hmm. like, the human element of of life. But it's, it is seeing that story over and over again— it is simplified because these movies are, yes, they're like comfort food, they're short, but it is kind of exhausting. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'm like, I don't watch as many of these movies as I used to. I mean, there was one point a few years ago where I had literally seen every holiday movie on the Hallmark Channel for a week and on Lifetime movie the same week. And that was like a point of like pride and kind of deep shame because that was a <laughs> lot of hours of watching these movies. Sure. And so it's like, I'm not as up-to-date on, like, this year's batch of movies, which there's many of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it's, like, the career woman going to the small town and then the workaholic, typically dad. Yes. Um, And then he somehow has hired a woman to take care of his kids or decorate his house because he's trying to make the holiday special, but he's not actually taking time out of his busy schedule until this... Almost manic pixie dream girl walks in and she's bubbly and not as, you know, done up and organized. And it's almost like they're making fun of her as well because it's like she's not organized. She doesn't have her life together. But this job, like, makes her pull it together and she meets this man and she loves the kids. And then she changes him to realize the importance of family. But she also learns how to get her life together. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, those that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's the other trope in my, like, subset of six movies that I watch every year. Yeah. I have noticed is the, the workaholic dad, uh, like, on Christmas Eve. Yes. Realizing, oh, I've been so wrong all this time. My family is so important. I know. Also, there is a lot of very bad parenting going on Mm. in these Hallmark movies because, like, the kids are there as plot devices, but they're, like, I'm like, you are leaving them unsupervised. (laughs) There's often some sort of, like, accident where, of course, they're okay, Mm -hmm. but, you know, they've been in danger, and I'm like, like, people need to take away your children away. Like, (laughs) I I mean, maybe that would be helpful Mm -hmm. um, if you provided good child care. Yet again, not the point of the movies. Yes, not as exciting. Yeah, it's also very funny because, like, the same child actors pop up. 
Mm-hmm. Unlike the Hallmark movies, like, oh, yeah, it was the same kid of the single mom over here, and now he's the kid of the single dad. And it's like, it's just so funny. I guess once they find a kid actor that works, they just go with it. Yeah. I bet someone out there has made, like, the unified the universe of holiday movies. Probably. I'm sure. If that person is listening, please, please let us know. Yes, I would love that list. <laughs> I mean, and, like, Hallmark in particular is very bad, or bad or good, depending on how you look at it, at hiring the same people every year to do these movies. Like, Lacey Chabert of Mean Girls fame has been in so many Hallmark movies. Oh, really? Yes. And Candace Cameron Bure, who played DJ on Full House. Oh. She is in a lot of them. Wow. Yes. Oh. I didn't know that was her name, I— yeah, <laughs> the the men actually get cycled through a lot more than the women. Like, you'll see, like, one actor in, like, a, two or three movies, but not to any of the level of Lacey Chabert. She's the number one. I think so. <laughs> As an actor, I know the dream is to get one successful holiday movie because they play it every year. Yeah. And so you'll at least have that that you can depend on. Good for them. I know. I'm like, that probably is a very sweet job where you're like, I'm going to go make these Christmas movies, guys. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. And you'll you'll see me again next year. <laughs> so more power to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, another trope that I found a lot when I was researching this is the workaholic Grinch. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very good example of this in a movie called It's Christmas Carol. Like with a comma, uh-huh. an exclamation point. <laughs> I see point. what they did there. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And she is a book editor. Mm-hmm. High-powered. And her former boss, who is actually played by the late, great Carrie Fisher. Oh. And she then comes back as all three of the ghosts. And she, you know, has to learn that work isn't everything. And, you know, she goes to the, the funeral for herself and no one's there and all of these things. The part that made me almost lose my mind is that this incredibly knowledgeable book editor had to Google the basic plot of A Christmas Carol. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah, just so, like, the audience would know. And I'm just like, hey, if you're watching this movie, you're probably familiar. And Mm -hmm. B, you expect me to believe a literary editor doesn't know one of the most famous stories Ever. Ever. And Ever. so I was just like, okay, you got some points for Carrie Fisher, but I think you just lost them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty big misstep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple of other variations on the workaholic Grinches that often show up in these movies. Um, and one of them is that there's a Christmas-themed business, like they make gingerbread or, you know, they make... Plastic candy canes, like various strange Christmas-related items. And this business is in trouble, and it's pretty much the source of jobs for the entire town. So if they lose this business, like, the town is going to die. And then normally the head of the company is a man who's trying to preserve his family's legacy. And not, not exclusively men, but I feel like that happens more often than women being in charge of these companies. And then a woman who is either a workaholic from a different company that's, like, interested in buying this one out or taking it over comes in and then 
you know, she saves the company at the end. And then, of course, they fall in love and run this company together. Um, But then there's also a different female archetype with the same, like, workaholic company man. And that's just someone who, like, loves Christmas so much. And she can't lose this, this part of Christmas. And it's been in her childhood. And for some reason, this love of Christmas seems to magically give her powers to save businesses. Like, she comes up with the idea that's going to save everything, even though, like, these people who have been running the company for generations couldn't think of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she comes up with an innovative idea, and all, it's all well by Christmas. Normally, they have a Christmas Eve or day, like, deadline. Like, we have to show that we can save the business because, of course, that's when people do the most business of the I year. Know. And... There's also a a different archetype where there's typically a female character who's working really hard at a job that's not her passion. Uh So she could be like an interior designer, but she actually really loves designing stage productions as in A Christmas Kiss. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And then she's working so hard at this job, and it typically has something to do with baking or writing or design, kind of already sort of feminine, Mm -hmm. or at least thought of as feminine. It would—it's—she's not like a woodworker, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And she somehow finds a way to be successful and financially secure pursuing her passion Mm -hmm. and, you know, generally with the help of a man— in some way. <laughs> like, he makes her realize that she needs to, you know, pursue her dreams and things like that. So, yeah, the the workaholic Grinches or just workaholics in general is very common, and there's complex variations thereof. Sounds like it. <laughs> um, yeah. You've been missing out all these years, Annie. I suppose so. I mean, I would say of the six or seven I watch every year, four are this but with men as the workaholic Grinch. Mm-hmm. And it does surprise me. I guess it shouldn't. I guess that's the whole point that they're, yeah, they're always working on Christmas Eve. And it's like at night on Christmas Eve too. Yeah, Like I've worked on Christmas Eve, but I always got off at like It's always, always during the day. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, acceptable. I mean, it's not really, but I, ha- I at least was able to leave my job. And for I know for some people that that's not even an option, but... In the cases of these movies, it absolutely is an option, and they're choosing. Yeah. I do wonder if that also ties back into A Christmas Carol, where, you know, poor little Bob Cratchit is having to negotiate the time off. So I wonder if that's where that archetype came from. And it's like he— Just playing out, yeah. Yeah, he who—Bob Cratchit, who wanted to go home and spend time with his family because he has kind of held up as, like, the ideal family man versus the people who are choosing to do it, Mm -hmm. you know, and— Comment on our materialistic society. Yeah, which is so interesting because Christmas is pretty materialistic. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's funny because, like, there are definitely Hallmark movies where it's like, we got this sponsor and we are going to feature them to no end. And it, one that I particularly remember is A Christmas Kiss 2, which uh-huh. is not nearly as good as A Christmas Kiss. I will straight up tell you that. Christmas Kiss 2 did premiere on the Hallmark Channel. And in it, there's a very wealthy man whose family runs a department store. 
but he's always been kind of not taking it seriously. And then he meets his sister's assistant who has really great ideas, but she just can't get them out there. And, you know, they fall in love. And at the end, he proposes. Spoiler alert. (laughs) And with the ring, he opens the box, and it's from K-Jewelers. Mm-hmm. And, oh. she's, and she says, is that the such-and-such such diamond from Kay Jewelers? Like, that's her reaction to oh, this my goodness. proposal and everything. And you're just like, not just non-Kay, but if I'm with a multimillionaire, I would expect him not to go to Kay. <laughs> I mean, that might just be a snob thing for me. Yeah. But it was unexpected, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely not the first thing I... I mean, who knows? But I don't think that'd be the first thing out of my mouth when someone goes to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like you you weren't just like, I was admiring that diamond at K Jewelers. I go every day after work and I would fantasize about this day. I know, and it's like, I don't think she even worked at like a jewelry store. Like that was the strangest thing about it. It's like mm. there wasn't really a reason for her to yeah. know this diamond. I mean, unless I'm confusing it with a different movie, which is quite possible. They do run together with very similar titles and actresses and such <laughs> as that. But I, for some reason, that one really stuck with me. I was like, I see what you did there, K Jewelers. That's funny because we were just talking about, um, we were watching Home Alone recently. Yes. And we were talking about product placement in Home Alone. And a lot of it is pretty well done because I didn't notice it until like this is probably the hundredth plus time I've seen that movie. To be honest, I didn't notice it until you pointed it out. I was like, Frito-Lays. I know. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I know. And then you're like, look at it. It's product placement. I'm like, okay. I never I, noticed, so I guess it didn't work on me. Or either it did, and you just don't know that it I did. I didn't even know what some of those products were. Yeah. Well, like whatever cereal he was eating, I'm like, I don't even, I don't recognize that at all. Well, an excellent study in product placement done correctly then. Yes, I would say so. Um, another trip we got to talk about is princesses, and this came on my radar after listening to NPR recently. And they did a whole deep dive in, what's the big one on Netflix that's really bad? A Christmas Prince. A Christmas Prince. Okay. Yes. Okay. That was came out last year. And this year, A Christmas Prince to the Royal Wedding came out this year, continuing the story of Richard and Amber. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, well, on the NPR segment, they were trying to get to the bottom of why people were so into this movie that most everyone agreed was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of what we were talking about of, like, the comfort, the mindless entertainment of it. Yeah, I mean, and I think being on Netflix is a huge, huge advantage for that particular movie because it's like you weren't going to sit down and watch it on Hallmark probably, mm-hmm. you know. And so it, it was just maybe a different audience that got to see it. You know, for people who don't oh, have sure. cable, you could watch it any time. You could pause it. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just there's just advantages to being on Netflix, I think. And I think it just hit all of the formulaic things you expect a princess Christmas movie to hit. Okay. You know, it's like one of the things about these prince or princess movies is there's a lot of deception. Uh-huh. It almost always starts off with, you know, either the prince is pretending to be a normal person because he wants to have normal interaction and the girl meets him when he's not the prince and they sort of get interested. And then, you know, it has to come out that he's the prince. 
and she's been lied to. But the variation on this trope that is actually in A Christmas Prince is Amber, the lead female character, is lying about being a journalist. She has used deception to pretend to be the prince's younger sister's tutor to get into the palace. And that happens fairly often. It's generally like a journalistic yeah. angle, and they're they're trying to get ahead in their career, and they have a very low opinion of the prince and the royal family. And then they start to know them, and they find them charming and just have a, a difficult you know, life in the spotlight and living up to the pressures. There's generally a dead parent. Oh, yes. I mean, because, you know, the prince has got to become the king. Yeah. Somehow. I mean, but actually the dead parent trope is in a lot of these holiday movies where it's like there is a parent who loved Christmas and that's why one of the characters loves Christmas so much. They're trying to keep it alive. Or it's like some family tragedy happened on Christmas and they've been avoiding it their whole lives. Um. But specifically in A Christmas Prince, the father has died. You never see him. And another trope that you see in these particularly princess or wealthy movies where the the commoner is, you know, coming into this world is they always have an ally who knows how things work. So in A Christmas Prince, it's actually Princess Emily, the younger sister, who really embraces Amber. And she actually knows that she's a journalist almost from the beginning, but wants to help Amber get the truth out about her brother, that he's not this playboy kind of thing. And another thing about the princess trope is that once they become a princess or become the love interest, you know, there's the big magical reveal in a beautiful dress and the hair and the makeup is perfect and everyone kind of turns and gasps Mm -hmm. and they do that. But then there's always something to show that they're still them, like they're wearing their lucky shoes, like tennis shoes, like they are in a Christmas prince. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the the locket that their mother gave them. There's always something to indicate to you. It's like they're not really changed. They're still them. They're still the normal person that this prince has fallen in love with. She's still Jenny from the block. Oh, yes. Or Amber from the diner <laughs> in this case. Ah, yes, yes. Yes. So, you, you know, and then there's normally like, based on the deception, there's some sort of moral dilemma typically. Like, how how do I tell the prince that I'm in love with, I've, I've only known for about three days, mm-hmm. that I've, I've been lying to him this whole time and he, he trusts me and he has trust issues because people have tried to, to use him. And there's also always the villain or villainess character wants something from the prince. Like, they want to be the princess. And so it's like they they pretend that they're in love to manipulate them into proposing. And so they're very much out to get our normal girl protagonist. Um, in the case of a Christmas prince, they break into her room and discover that she has lied about her identity. But they also find the documents that she had found that indicate that Prince Richard was adopted and actually isn't the heir to the throne. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I wasn't expecting this turn. I, actually, that is, like, one of the most surprising things I've seen in Christmas movies in a long time. Whoa. <laughs> I know, where it's like, he's not really a blood relation to the late king. Um, mm-hmm. Don't worry, it works out. King made a decree before he died that Richard could become king. Oh, good. Yes. 
just based on what how good of a person he was, not because of royal blood or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes. Well, there's like that message of like, blood might not be there, but you're still my son. Yeah. yeah I mean, I actually did appreciate their, fi- their family dynamic because a, a lot of times in these movies, particularly if it's like the wealthy family or the royal family, there's one of the parents is very aloof mm. and is very much only about the perception and it's like they eventually come around because they've been won over by normal girl charm or see that their son is happy. But I actually got the impression of a warm familial relationship between the parents and Richard and Emily, which was actually kind of nice. I mean, she, the queen was still like, we've got to think about the country. But she was just very more, much more open and loving than a lot of them are portrayed in the movie, particularly in the beginning. Huh. Yeah. Good review, kind of. Of Christmas Prince. Oh, yes. I can go into more detail if you would like. I'm <laughs> getting that sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then I think another aspect of the, the princess appeal, as I like to think of it, is that that just runs so deep for girls because you're taught at such a young age, like, this is how you are valued. Mm-hmm. Like, your dad treats you like a little princess. You're supposed to find a man who treats you like a princess to, like, be your worth. And, you know, I think it's it's just so ingrained that even if you, when you're an adult, you don't buy into it so much, but there's still that aspect of it, of you've been kind of taught societally that this is kind of what you want. This is what you want to achieve. And it's like, then there's all the Disney movies where it's princesses, oh, yeah. princesses, princesses. Mm-hmm. And then you have the less problematic movies like Frozen or Moana. And, but they're still princesses. Yeah. They're not normal girls. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the princesses are the ones you're supposed to care about. Yeah. And then and additionally, I think that kind of being with a prince represents the ultimate security you could have in your life. They're rich. They're powerful. Like they're going, their family's been around for so long. It's not like suddenly the stock market's going to drop out and they're going to lose everything. I mean, they have a country, mm-hmm. you know? So, I, and I think, you know, you're never, if you're with a prince, you're never going to have to do a real job. You know, it's like your career is never going to be your focus. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to have to do housework, but your role is defined in a very like old school femininity. Mm-hmm. Like, this is your role, and so, like, in A Christmas Prince 2, the royal wedding, you see Amber, our normal girl, struggling with that and, you know, trying to modernize it. That's also a very big theme. Like, normal girl comes in and says, well, I'm not going to do it. I think your traditions are stupid. Mm-hmm. And some, somehow everyone comes to accept this. Like, even the old stodgy royal family is like, oh, okay, I guess because he loves you, like, that's totally fine. But it, and, and so, you know, just in another way, situations are simplified. But, you know, I think there's multiple reasons why Christmas movies and then princess Christmas movies are so widely appealing. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, apart from Frozen, I which is not technically a Christmas movie because it's, like, wintertime. Yeah. It plays a lot during the Christmas season. Uh, I don't think I've seen a Christmas princess movie, and I didn't know until researching this that it was such a big thing. Yeah, like, there is multiple ones on Netflix, like, not Netflix original ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another one that I've watched is A Princess for Christmas. Oh. Um, where the main female character is 
caring for her orphaned niece and nephew. Their parents have died tragically, but their father was the heir to some sort of title. And so they get invited to go and see their stodgy rich grandfather who had problems with his son and banished him because he married their mother who was a commoner and everything. So then her sister comes in and wins the heart of his younger brother and eventually wins over the the old curmudgeon grandpa mm. in the in the process. So, mm-hmm. you know, princesses and Christmas just go so well together. They go hand in hand, apparently. I mean, because why else would you be dressed up? You got to have the big fancy dress reveal movement or like oh, yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. And how else are you going to do that other than a Christmas Eve ball? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> No, there's no other reason to dress oh, up. It's always Christmas Eve, too. And I'm like, do you people not have other things to do? No, balls to go to. I have never been invited to a Christmas Eve ball. So, you know, that's why I haven't been in my own princess movie. That's that's that, it. That's the key. <laughs> if I was invited to a Christmas Eve ball, it would happen. Everything would change for you. It would. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have a fancy dress moment. Mm-hmm. I would impress all of the aristocracy with yeah. my normalness but style. Uh-huh. No stopping me. <laughs> That's right. There, we, we know what to do, but execution. I know. It's like you can't just throw yourself a Christmas ball. That's the problem. Or can you? <laughs> well, they haven't made a Hallmark movie about that yet, so I don't know. Well, we could be original. We could be uh, trailblazers. In yes. This. <laughs> we'll get to work. We've got a couple of days <laughs> I know. to throw together a Christmas ball. I know. It's like, You're all invited. <laughs> yes. What will we do for hors d'oeuvres, though? <laughs> popcorn. Um, you can't have popcorn at a Christmas Eve ball, Annie. Well, this is how I impress people is I provide food that is um, both well-loved and uh, not typically seen as a rich, fancy thing. Pigs in a blanket are way better for this instance than popcorn. Just throwing that out there. They can have both. They can have both. Yeah. We have some more tropes to dive into, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Well, another trope that I wanted to talk about is all I want for Christmas is a man. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and I am someone who's not really into romance. In in movies or in life, I don't really like romantic mm-hmm. movies. Um, I'm not into romance in life, which for past people I've dated, it has proved very difficult for them. Um, yeah. Uh, but I do, I get really tired of seeing this story over and over again, and not to mention that I, I chafe at the idea that a woman's value is defined on whether or not a man has deemed her valuable. Um, and recently, I was doing my viewing of that premiere Christmas movie. Oh, yes. Die Hard. Much <laughs> debate about whether it's a Christmas movie, but I, I will uh, yes, allow it yes. for this, we'll this podcast. Let it into the yeah. <laughs> conversation. Uh, I was a little annoyed at how annoyed Bruce Willis's character, John McClane, was that his wife, Holly, which I just got, Doing the research, Holly, huh? Christmas Holly. um, (laughs) Was going by her last name now and not his. Um, They were separated and they were heading towards divorce. And how she was semi-villainized for taking a step up in her career and Mm -hmm. moving the family to L.A. And I I might be reading way too much into it, but 
I, I feel like you're meant to side with John McClane, who wanted to stay in New York and do his cop thing, as opposed to her, who got, like, this opportunity, like a promotion yeah. in L.A., um, and she took it. And he even says in there something like, I wasn't supportive, and I should have been. I'm like, yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, she's her, She's punished for mm-hmm. doing that. I mean, the tower gets invaded. Hans Gruber is going to kill her. Yeah. I mean, she's punished for, you know, taking this job. Because if she hadn't, she wouldn't be in that situation. Right. And in the beginning, um, when John arrives at this holiday Christmas party mm-hmm. at his ex-wife separated significant other (laughs) at at her office. Um, This jerk that works with Holly kind of immediately is like, show him the watch, show him the watch. And she's like, no, no, that's okay. Um, And she had received this very nice, expensive Rolex watch Mm -hmm. for doing a good job at work, for like helping this deal happen. Um, And I I mean, I wouldn't really want to show off my Rolex watch Either that's just not the type of person I no. am. <laughs> but in the end, um, and I, I'm going to issue a spoiler alert. But this movie's been out for a while. So. Well, I've completely spoiled pretty much every movie I've talked friends. about. So tragedy. Sorry, everyone. Like people couldn't figure it out based on all these tropes that we're talking <laughs> I, about. Yes. Um, but Holly is hanging outside of a window that's about thirty stories up. And Alan Rickman's character, Hans Gruber, he is holding on to her. Like, the only thing keeping him from falling to his death is by holding on to her and her Rolex watch. And the way that John saves her is he unbuckles the watch, and it falls alongside Hans. Hans to his death. I'm assuming the watch just broke. Um, Yeah. But then in this, like, happy wrap-up moment, Holly clarifies when someone asks that her name is Holly McLean going back to her husband's last name. And it read, the whole thing read to me like she learned her lesson from this venture on focusing on her career. Um, Which again, I can see how it gets twisted of like getting too wrapped up in your career, but it didn't feel like that. It felt like... No, I mean, I didn't really see like the, the indications of that from her. I think she was truly just punished because she made a decision for her family based on her career and not her husband's is what I ultimately think that sort of dynamic was about. Because, I mean, it wasn't shown that, like, the kids were neglected or anything by her. In fact, I might be misremembering, but I feel like she was the primary child care provider anyway. Yeah. Even working this, like, very nice career. Mm -hmm. So, I mean— in the interest of the kids, it probably was better that they went with her. Yeah, and um, I don't... We've done an episode before on women um, taking their husband's last name and all the stuff around that. If she wants to take his last name, like, I have no problem with that. Um, But it felt more like the messaging was she was she was shown the error in her ways by putting her and what she thought was best for her family first. And yeah. so was pivoting back to be on John McClane's side. Um, and that and that the whole thing that she's being unreasonable 
for using her her maiden name, which I have such a problem with that term, but for her maiden name yeah. in the first place when they are separated. Yeah, I'm like, I, I think it's it's just another thing where it's like, John McClain didn't want the divorce, mm-hmm. didn't want the separation. So how dare she take steps that he didn't agree with? Yeah. And um, some people did read the whole watch thing mm-hmm. as an anti-capitalist message, which I think it can be both. <laughs> I mean, I could I could see that, but I, I feel like they they just made such a big deal about it. Yeah. You know, I think you could interpret it that way. I personally don't really see it that way, but, you know, to each his own. Yeah. Um, but it is either way. It is very—the watch is very symbolic. And, like, when mm-hmm. he unbuckles it at the end. This was—I I don't watch Die Hard every year. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while since I've seen it, especially since I think I started working on this show and started looking at things more critically. I still liked the movie, but right. I was kind of, oh— Oh, <laughs> I know. I feel like that every time we watch a movie together and you're just like pointing these things out to me, I'm like, I don't think I would have noticed that. But you're <laughs> totally right. Yeah. And um, I've said it before on this show. Uh, I'll say it again. But I think you can have a critical eye towards something and still like it. Like, yeah, I like Die Hard. I think we can make better things. You know, you can. I think it's good to be able to pick up on the messaging you see. Maybe you don't even realize yeah. in movies. I know. I think that's, I mean, I've already kind of mentioned that I don't watch nearly as many holiday movies, like Hallmark holiday movies as I used to because, you know, it, it does get annoying that women are basically told your career isn't what makes you happy. Yeah. Or, you know, some of them they've had it where a career woman is unhappy with her life and she makes a wish and suddenly she's like transported back like 10 years into the past to like catch the one that got away and then, you know, the end she's shown with children and she's so much more happy and fulfilled than she was when she just had her career. Yeah. You know, I mean, so I don't know if it's because I'm more aware of such things or I'm just like, you know, just the climate we're in yeah, politically now or what it is, but it's like those things bother me when they used to not. Yeah. And like I said, as someone who is not into romance— um, I really internalized seeing this story play out over and over again that to be successful, to be happy, you needed to find the man. Because these are all very heterosexual stories we're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I I think it doesn't allow a woman to be happy without a man. I completely agree about that. And And a lot of them— you know, where the main character is kind of sworn off men. She just got out of a bad relationship. Or, you know, her parents had a difficult marriage and she doesn't want to do that, that kind of thing. Well, her friends, her little group are focused on, you just need to find someone. You'll find someone. And so it's like you've got the the trope of the woman who's not looking for it but suddenly finds the love of her life. But you also kind of have another trope where... This woman is so busy looking for it, she mm-hmm. misses what's right in front of her. Of course, where yeah. it's like her best friend or, you know, a, a new acquaintance where she's she's seen some man that she's just like instantly attracted to. And so she doesn't see the other guy that's ultimately better for her and they're going to wind up together. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not like a single lady's finding happiness in their own life. 
No, and I hadn't realized until working on this show how much I internalized the messaging that you are incomplete. You cannot be happy until you accomplish this family unit. Very heterosexual family unit. Yes. I mean, I think that 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 messaging shows up in so many other places. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, like I said, I didn't notice it for so long. But yeah, and then I started seeing it and I'm just like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to have another movie where someone who is probably seems happy at the beginning of the movie, at least the career driven woman typically is, you know, stressed out, but like living her life. And then to just say, oh, now I found this man. And she always finds a man. Like, she might fall in love with the small town she's in as well and all the people. But without that romantic component, she probably wouldn't stay. Because, you know, the end scene is typically of them realizing that she's going to stay. And then they're kissing. And, you know, it, it, it culminates with them, you know, sealing the fact that they're in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And it's just, I read a lot of accounts of people um, who were talking about um, how difficult it can be during the holidays if you are single. Yeah. And um, yeah, for me, for a long time, my family's mostly given up. But it was always this question of when are you going to settle down? That's what people were asking me during the holidays. Like your, your time is running. Yeah, that old biological clock. <laughs> yeah, maybe. it's ticking. Um, like, you've had your fun, but you're, it's time for you. Like, I've literally had it put that way to me before. Like, you've had your fun times. You need to settle down. As if getting married and having kids is going to not be fun at all. Yeah. I know, and, it, and it's like, that pressure is placed more on women than on men. I mean, mm-hmm. there are the elements in some holiday movies where it's like the playboy rich guy who meets the right woman and decides he is a wants to be committed, there's more to life than partying, that yeah. kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, the onus is generally on women. Mm-hmm. Like, you just care too much about your career. You don't have time for kids with your career. You don't make time for men. How do you think you're ever going to be in a relationship? Yeah. And not to say that, like, there isn't a balancing act. Like, when you've got a job and you're in a relationship, I mean, of course those issues are going to come up. But it's demonized. Yeah. It's demonized so much. And that's very frustrating as a woman watching it. And you're just like – and generally the woman is the one making the sacrifices. Yeah. For people to be together. You know, mm-hmm. career woman comes to the small town, saves something. Well, holiday hunk isn't moving to the, back to the city with her. <laughs> no. You know, she's going to stay in the small town. They're not. There's not discussions of, like, how are we going to split our time between the city for my career and then the small town for your, for, like, yeah. the, the idealized life we're going to have here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, she's making the sacrifices. Yeah. Um and again, th- this isn't limited at all by any means to holiday movies. Because oh, no. I-, I was thinking of like Gone Girl when she gets so frustrated because they have to move back to this like oh, yeah. tiny town. Mm-hmm. Small town in Missouri, a small yeah. rural town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, like if that's for you, that's for you. But just to like, it is a big change. And if you're used to the city, if you like the city, um, it's not always like you go to a small town and, oh. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, as I said, with both of us being from small towns, I mean, there's there's things in cities that you like. I mean, variety of food. I like Uber and Lyft. Not None of that where I'm from. Delivery at 3 a.m. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, when I was living in Chicago and I was like, they're going to bring me a giant pizza to my door. <laughs> and I was like, this is one of the most amazing things that's ever happened to me. Yes. Not that you can't get pizza delivered in my hometown, but I mean, it was deep dish, mm. just tons of cheese, deliciousness. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I do, um, when I go and visit my hometown, there are things that I love about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I think it's more just that the kind of broad, broad strokes of this one is clearly the better one oh, yeah. than this one. I think that's what I have a problem with. Yeah, I mean, and that is one of the things that I really did want to talk about is like the in the idealization of the small town, there aren't a lot of people of color. There's yeah. very little LGBTQ representation, if any. Yeah. I mean, and typically if there is, you know, a queer character, they don't have a relationship. Yeah. They're they're very one dimensional. They're here to help you get dressed. You know, yeah. they're not they're not full fledged characters. Which I mean, you can say that for almost any character in a holiday movie, but it's just even more glaring. Yeah. And, you know, for years and years and years on Hallmark, there was not a single movie where any of the main, like, romantic characters were people of color. Yeah. And I think you said now that there's, like, one out of their 22 this year actually has people of color. And it's like I watched an... Ion um, television movie the other day that actually had an interracial couple. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so I was, like, actually kind of surprised to see that. I mean, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, but because you just, you don't see those things. And, you know, I have not seen any holiday movies where the main romantic characters are queer. Yeah, and I would love to see that. I would, it would be so refreshing. Yeah, I mean, and there, I, I think there's, like, a lot of people who would want to watch that movie. Yeah. Just maybe not Hallmark's target audience, you know. Yeah. So maybe this is a place where Netflix and places like that can, you know, bring some differences to these rather formulaic movies. Yeah. Yeah. They can lead the way. But I'd love to see, like, Hallmark slowly. Because then the target audience who might not be used to seeing these things and might be a little um, not on board with those things yeah. might... Yeah, Hallmark is changing in the fact that a lot of the secondary characters, well, not a lot, but more than there used to be, and mm-hmm. a lot of the, like, background characters at the scene of this lodge or whatever are people of color. But you almost get the sense that maybe it's tokenism. Yeah. Because it's like they know it's like, oh, we got to put a black person in here because they're going to accuse us of being racist. Like, well, you've had, like— <laughs> 10 plus years of just only white people in your movies, though. In your many, many, many movies. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's not like they're lacking opportunities to hire people. Like I said, 22 new movies this season alone. They started October 27th. They, yeah, they were ready to go. Yeah. (laughs) Halloween had not even happened yet. No. They're on the Christmas train. Which I'm sure is a, a Christmas movie, The Christmas Train. There it's is, like the Polar it, it Express. It was the world, uh, their um, signature or featured Hallmark movie of the season last year was The Christmas Train. There you go. There's yeah. a movie for everything. Yes. 
Starring um, Danny Glover, Dermot Mulroney, um, Joan Cusack. Interesting cast. Yeah, I mean, they they put their big bucks into their like signature <laughs> Hallmark oh, feature movies. I see. Yes, and Kimberly Paisley, I think. Anyway, yeah, they they got some recognizable people in these yeah. in this movie. I was like, oh my goodness, it was not a good movie. Uh, I watched it; it was not great. But there was a train, and it was Christmas time, so I guess I can't be too upset. The title was very specific. Yeah. It was spot on in this case. Yes. Um, to bring it back to Die Hard before we move on, it was interesting because that movie takes place in the early 90s, and um, it does have people of color in it, but they feel very caricatured and like it's yeah. playing on stereotypes. So her boss is like Mr. Nakatomi, I think. A and, Japanese businessman. A Japanese businessman. Um, Which no offense to Japanese businessmen. No. I get it, but... No, but it, it felt very, like, one-dimensional, not thought mm-hmm. out. Uh, died very early in the movie, too. It did. Um, Pretty violently, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then there's, uh, so Holly has a nanny take care of her kids, and she's Hispanic, and, mm-hmm. of course, she's undocumented. That's a whole plot point in the movie. And then there's two black characters... And, uh, yeah, they just feel kind of like they're playing on stereotypes. I will say the one that's played by Brad Winslow from Family Matters. Yeah, I was like, I was supposed to say, I'm like, I liked his character because he was like the smartest cop he on was. the ground. Nobody would listen to him. I know. And, uh, that, that, and like, maybe that is also something to do with his race. I yeah, don't know. No, but I'm like, absolutely. He, he was the only one that knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, but his... And this this could honestly be a critique of the whole movie, but his story did feel very, like, not as fleshed out uh, as yeah. it could have been. It felt very, um, <laughs> what's the word? Not trite, but, like, what's the thing that we can play with the heartstrings? Oh, this. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but this is definitely an area where... All of our entertainment could improve, but especially, it seems especially apparent in the holiday movie genre. There, it's all white. Like I would say, particularly Hallmark. Like Lifetime and Ion Television are a little bit more adventurous. I don't know if you should even call that adventurous, (laughs) but like they're not just plain white. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they they have interracial movies or movies that feature like black cast, which is which is really great to see. I, I enjoy those movies. As much as I enjoy any holiday movie, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. But I, I, you know, I do think it would be nice if, you know, Hallmark normalized some things. Yes. Um, particularly, like, I imagine their audiences, at least based on the commercials that I see, a lot of them have dogs and heart problems mm. because they're always like, get this product for your dog or get this thing for your heart. And so mm-hmm. you're like... A little maybe I'm stereotyping, but that's what their their commercials lead me to believe. So yeah. they're older, probably more conservative yeah. people. And I do think, like you know, just seeing things in media and normalizing them is is a big part of change. Oh yes, you know. And I would like for these you know movies to be more on the forefront than the the afterthought where they're like, oh, yeah, more people are okay with, like, black people in their holiday movies. I guess we'll throw a few in. Like, no, like, make the effort 
to show things how they are, not because you feel pressure from someone being like, why is everybody white, but because you want to show these things. Yeah. And just for having and a— And reflect life. Yeah. And, and a new story, <laughs> a different thing, <laughs> something new. Um, before we move on, some Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer oh. News. Yeah. Um, okay, so this film, the, the puppet one, was recently yes. named the most popular Christmas movie, and it was also called out as sexist. And the conservatives yeah. were like, look what the liberals are ruining now. And I will say, I watched this like a couple of nights ago, and I think it's totally sexist. But It is. It is so, it's very sexist. It's very sexist, but in a way that I can mostly ignore or excuse. For, as the, like, for the time, yeah. For the time. And I mean, it, it was always, it's always beneficial to, like, have a conversation with children <laughs> about the entertainment mm-hmm. um, they're, they're consuming. I think that's where the problem comes in. Right. Um, but to me, it was kind of like, yeah, sexist. Um, and, and I, the thing that really stood out more was how terrible people were to him, to Rudolph. I know. I'm like, Santa is evil. He's mean. In that movie, I'm like, he's he's racist. Yeah. He's like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your face? Hide that. Cover that up. I know. It's like, and it's like, how dare his father, like, bring him out? Why isn't his father ashamed of him? He yeah. should be ashamed of him. And you're just like, Santa's supposed to be nice, but he's really, he's really not at all in that movie. And that I noticed even when I was a kid. I was like, yeah. Santa's a jerk to Rudolph. Like, mm-hmm. you should crash that sleigh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I always... Uh, a proponent of media literacy, knowing the messages in your in the media you consume, mm-hmm. and especially at a young age, because we do internalize that stuff very young. Yeah, and I definitely think that, like you know, parents just want to put like a movie on for their kids at the holidays, and it's like I watched this when I was a kid. But you know, give those things a rewatch. Yeah, oh yeah, you're gonna pick up on a lot of things you don't remember, and yeah. you know, maybe <laughs> it isn't exactly what you want your kid to see, or you do want them to see it, but you want to talk to them about it. Yes, yes, so, I think that is great advice. I'm pro watching children's movies just in general, but do it with a purpose. Yeah, yes, be responsible in your viewership. Yes. Um. So we have a little bit more for you, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back with a brief thing about Christmas songs, holiday songs. And there is one really big one we have to talk Mm -hmm. about, and that is Baby It's Cold Outside. Baby It's Cold Outside is a song written by Frank Loesser in 1944, and it was a parlor act he performed with his wife, Lynn Garland. It won an Academy Award in 1949 after Frank sold the rights to MGM, much to Lynn's horror. It sounds like he didn't really consult her about it. And it was featured in the film Neptune's Daughter. Though there's no direct mention of Christmas in the lyrics, it has become associated with the holiday because it's all about winter and yeah. staying warm. Mm-hmm. Or is it? Oh, no. Um, so it's a duet popularly sung by a man and a woman in a call and response form where yes. the man is attempting to convince the woman to stay at his house instead of going home as she's, like, getting ready to leave. He's trying to get her to stay. Mm-hmm. And in the score, the male part, or the part that's typically played by the male is labeled wolf, and the female part, or the part that's typically played by a female, is labeled mouse. 
And it's really hard to ignore the predator-prey aspect of that. Um, And it has become a lightning rod for controversy due to the lyrics like this one where the mouse asks, Say, what's in this drink? Yeah. Yeah, and the wolf's unrelenting pressure and unwillingness to take no for an answer. I know people have counted how many times she says no, and he keeps Mm -hmm. saying, come on, don't embarrass me, don't hurt my pride, like, please. Yeah. Um, And by today's standards, the whole thing does feel very date rapey. It is hard, at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, not to hear that. Yeah, like when I I listened to the lyrics, or I saw them written out, I think, a, a few years ago, and I was like, oh, my God. God, I've listened to this so many times just because, you know, inescapable. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, once you once you really start paying attention, you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, this woman might be in danger. Yeah, it's actually kind of menacing. I know. It's like, actually, she is in danger. Is it, The modern ear hears that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And um, for what it's worth, in Neptune's Daughter, the movie that it was featured in, the song was performed twice, and it swapped— the gender roles. Mm-hmm. Some feminists and scholars have come to defense of the song, saying that we need to consider the historical and cultural context in the time it was written. And they note that all of the mouse's excuses are based on other people. Well, will her, and again, it's mostly a woman, but it doesn't specify that it has to be. Um, mm-hmm. But what will her mother, father, brother, neighbors think? And that she truly does want to stay the night and she's looking for an excuse to stay the night. Right. And a professor at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, wrote about the song and points out that at the time it was written, which was World War II, social norms were changing rapidly and women were experiencing more sexual freedom. And in that context, yeah, I, I suppose you could read it that way. According to music historian Thomas Rees, when the song came out, it was scandalous for a woman to be alone with a man drinking. And her primary concern would be being judged by those around her and her reputation getting ruined. Perhaps being able to say it wasn't safe for me to drive because there wasn't really taxis or a lift back then right. would be a way that she could protect her reputation. And I get that, but true or not, it is dangerously close to rape culture. No means yes. Yeah, I completely agree. And it... it that is why it's uncomfortable, and it's like clearly our society is still struggling with that. What does no mean? I, I mean, as a woman, we're like, no means no, right? It means no. <laughs> but there's there's confusion. I use heavy quotes. Yeah. And it it like we were saying, if you're going to like let your kids listen to this song, you need to explain this. Yeah. And you need to explain to them like no means no, like. Boys mm-hmm. and girls, because you don't end rape culture with only one gender learning. Right. Everybody needs to learn. And it's like, you know, if you find the song uncomfortable, I completely understand why. Yeah. If you want to keep listening to it and knowing the context, because context is very important, good for you. You know, but I mean, it shouldn't just be something that we just listen to because it's it's been on the radio for like our whole lives. Yeah. You know, it's... It's representative of a lot of things, like I said, that our culture is still really struggling with. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of attitude also shows up in a lot of Hallmark movies, Mm -hmm. to be honest, where it's like the male and female characters hate each other. 
but then they're slowly thrown together by circumstances and like he wears her down or something like that. Yeah. And, and and it's like that that's creepy. Mm-hmm. That's weird. And it's romanticized. It is. I mean, it, even going back to the workaholic dad where he hires this woman to take care of his kids, well, they they become an item. But what if she if the attraction wasn't mutual? Right. Your employer mm-hmm. is hitting on you. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, there's just so many layers to these things, and it's like they show you the most simplified, happy, clean version of it. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we want from our Hallmark holiday movies. So <laughs> right. it's like, you know, I don't expect them to be like, and this it was the Christmas we discussed rape. Mm, you know, yeah. it's just more things to be aware of. And it's like, unfortunately, these like silly entertainment things, there's so much more to them than we, than any of us want to think about. Yeah. And I mean, there's certain aspects of society that we see reflected that we don't want to be more, take a more critical eye to. And I know a lot of people... Um, we've talked about this a lot on the show of um, people point to all of this conversation around baby it's cold outside and say mm-hmm. you're ruining flirtation like you're you're making it impossible for romance to happen and I think what you're saying is you're making it impossible for me to just pursue like a non-consensual like yeah because it was romanticized so it was okay it was flirty Right. But that's not romantic for one person involved. No, I, I know. And it, it, it's like, I hate that argument where it's like, well, how could a woman and, and a man in a business situation ever be alone together because, like, she could claim harassment? I'm like, that's, I get there's, like, very rare cases where that might happen, but that's not what's generally going on. And generally women aren't playing hard to get. They really just want to be left alone. And it, it's it's scary. Yeah. And disturbing. And that that's so hard to explain to, like, male friends or yeah. male family members just being, like, how how scary it can be to walk down a street mm-hmm. and have people yell at you. Oh, yeah. Or when um, I remember explaining to my dad once about uh, how when uh, someone would come up to me, a guy at a bar or something would come up and ask like, oh, you know, can I have your number? Let's go dance or whatever. And I would say no. And I would tense immediately because I know it's coming. I'm going to get yelled at for basically just minding my own business and wanting to be left alone. Yeah. I mean, another thing specifically about baby, it's cold outside, is that it's on the woman that her reputation would be damaged. Yep. It's on her to repeatedly say no. Mm-hmm. You don't, you can't just say it be one and done. Right. You know, and then I think this kind of song also speaks to another thing that I, I really see about our society that bothers me is that the woman is supposed to be in control of two people's actions. Yeah. You know, it's the thing that goes back like, well, what were you wearing that night? Mm-hmm. I'm like, so it's like because you decided to wear something, you are somehow responsible for another human being's actions. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's like I think there's an element of that into the song on either interpretation. If you're saying like this is what it meant at the time versus how it sounds now, like the onus is on the woman mm-hmm. to be protecting her reputation, to not be seen as a loose woman. You know, and it, it's just other stuff that I don't think men have to consider very much. 
because it's it's boys will be boys, which I've I've always hated that phrase. Me too. Because it implies that men don't have self control. Yeah. That there's there they are a weak gender that they can't control their actions, which I I think if I was a man I'd be offended by. I think I would like to hope most men, especially people listening to the show, are offended by it. Yes. Um but yeah, it is interesting too how like the maleness has typically been associated with strength and yet that is a very weak thing to say. Like you have no control. I know, and I'm like, that's why I find it so bizarre. It's like, you can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. But our society seems to think it's completely acceptable. I'm like, it's just not logical. <laughs> You're saying different things, mm. but just so it, it makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, uh, that what's annoying about people who are saying like, oh, the liberals are ruining this thing now. It's like, just because you don't want to think about something and you don't want to have to evaluate how you live your life doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they're ruining something. Right. You know, it's yeah. it, 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 they're not the same thing. And yeah, it's it's difficult. It's hard to examine the things you like and the media you consume and the opinions you have like in the the deepest darkest recesses of your mind that you don't want to admit to other people like mm-hmm. you know, it it's hard. It's not comfortable, but we need to do it. Everyone needs yeah. to do it. Like, you need to think about what you're consuming. Yes. And then how that affects what you put out into the world. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. Um, and I will say to anyone who's listening to this, and it's like, oh, I love babies go outside. Um, yeah. The, I mean, we're not. <laughs> it's so catchy. It is very catchy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, as long as you're kind of aware, and I think, yeah, yeah, just aware of why it can be seen as problematic and why some people really have a problem with it, then um, more power to you. Yeah, and just, like, don't be rude to people yeah. who, who, like, might be offended by it. Just if they're like, oh, I don't like this song, can we change it? Just, just change the just song. Change it's it. really not that big of a deal. No, um, and it is a very popular song. I believe as of recording this, there's over 80 uh, different people have made a cover of Baby It's Cold Outside. Wow. Um, in November 2018, one radio station in Cleveland, Ohio, banned the song. Several Canadian broadcasters followed suit, including CBC Radio, while another radio station in Kentucky played it nonstop for the opposite reason. Uh, yes. Why would anyone want to hear a song nonstop? One thing, but okay. Um, they got to prove a point. Yeah, what an annoying point. (laughs) How annoyingly done. Um, (laughs) When these stations that banned the song surveyed their listenership, though, about uh, whether or not they should reinstate it, an overwhelming majority in all cases supported putting it back in rotation. Hmm. Um, But we're not the only ones that have had this interpretation at all. Uh, You probably didn't think that, but just to be clear. In 2012, Key and Peele parodied the song, and Funny or Die did the same in 2015 with the mouse hitting on the wolf, hitting it literally uh, over the (laughs) head with a shovel and shouting, "This this is a completely inappropriate song. And SNL also parodied it it in 2015 with Kenan Thompson impersonating Bill Cosby. Yeah, that's not an association you want anymore with a Christmas song, for sure. No. Um, Or at all. (laughs) No, no. No. Um, But despite this, or maybe because of it, Baby It's Cold Outside is doing better than ever. Sales are going up. Digital sales growing up, Mm -hmm. not down. Um, 
There's a version with updated lyrics that I really dig most, um, I don't want to say conservative, but, you know, people that are angry about this whole thing, they really don't dig it. But I liked it um, by Lydia Lisa and Josiah Lemansky called Baby, I'm Cool With That. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the proceeds of the song go to organizations focused on providing help to survivors of sexual violence. And um, whether or not you think the original version needed an update, I I think it's still fun. Like, I can hear Baby It's Cold Outside, and if I don't pay too much attention to it, it is catchy. Um, It's when I start listening to lyrics that I get it kind of like, "Mm." Um, hmm. But uh, I really liked Baby I'm Cool With That because it's basically like, I really can't stay. And he's like, Baby, I'm cool with that. If we're going to keep recording it, yeah, let's mix it up some. That's fair. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, like right this year, I think two versions were recorded. Let's let's see something different, or we can. I mean, you know, we could get rid of it all together. I don't think that'll ever happen. But oh no, and I I don't necessarily say that that should happen mm-hmm. because I think you know you shouldn't glorify things that happened in the past, but you should be aware of them. Yeah, you know, and it's like. Our culture has roots in what happened in, like, at the time this song was recorded. You know, I mean, it's like you can't completely ignore it. But ignoring and glorifying are very different things, which I think has also been a source of confusion for some people in our society. Yeah, I would agree. Um, So I have two honorable mentions that I don't really want to get into, but they do come up in terms of sexism and uh, holiday songs. And one is Santa Baby, Mm -hmm. which is pretty much about a woman or how people, some people read it. It's pretty much about a woman trying to seduce Santa for gifts. Um, and then mm-hmm. I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, which also comes under fire for being sexist. Um, so <laughs> you listeners, can you can think about that one. Um, but that brings us to the end of this, our bonus holiday deep dive. Not trying to ruin your media, but be more <laughs> I know, it's like, cognizant of what you're consuming. It's like, maybe just listen to this after the holidays, after you've watched all the movies, and you can think about it for next year, <laughs> if you mm-hmm. need to. Well, I guess I, that should have been at the beginning of the podcast. But. <laughs> <laughs> Add in a disclaimer. Yes. I'm someone who, like, as long as it's not outright terrible, I'll, I'll just point out a thing and I'll still enjoy a movie. Like, oh, yeah. I've been planning a... Um, Alien, a feminist alien series, Night Forever, where I'm just going to, I've already told my friends, deal with it. I'm going to point out all of this stuff <laughs> while we're watching it, and I'm going to have a wonderful time. Yes. Um, but yeah, who, whatever you celebrate, uh, we hope that you're having a, a happy and um, safe, restful, relaxing holiday, or if you're... Celebration, celebration of any sort. Of any sort. Are getting prepared for the new year, the upcoming new year. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. Oh, well, thank you for having me. This is <laughs> definitely a new experience for me, but it was nice. So thank you. Yes. Um, and listeners, if you have any thoughts on anything, any holiday movies, songs, or anything else, you can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at stuff one never told you. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrew Howard, and thanks to you for listening.